The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going? And welcome to episode 80 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. Of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And I'm without Kevin Hastings, who should still be followed on the Twitter at Hastings Kevin. Simply here to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time to wake up with us every Sunday morning throughout the season. Listen to what Kevin and I had to say week in and week out, along with our guests. As Southwest would say, we understand you have many options to get your fantasy and fab advice. And we greatly appreciate the fact that you take hours and that of all of our guests throughout the season. This show is built around the amazing community that we have within the fantasy baseball industry. And we will continue to incorporate voices from every sector that we can get our hands on to get different insights, points of view, strategies, specialties to spotlight throughout the offseason and into 2023. For now, I just wanted to provide a very small snippet of some of those voices we heard throughout the 2022 season. There's no way I could actually incorporate clips from every episode, so I do apologize if I missed your favorite one. Please don't be shy to let me know if that was the case, but I do hope we're able to put together even somewhat haphazardly a good mix of voices that may have helped you along the way to be successful in 2022 through the fantasy baseball. So with that, please enjoy this clip show of the 2022 season as we wrap it all up. RL, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How are things going for you now that your projections are finally out in the wild for everybody to see and you're probably not getting bugged about it as much as you were leading up to it? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. And second of all, thank you for that absolutely lovely intro. That's so nice of you. Very kind to me. But uh, hey, it was a busy couple of weeks getting the ATC projections out there. And now it's time for me just to relax and go to Hawaii. No, now's when the fun starts. Now's when we start digging into it, getting ready for the season, seeing what the projections say like I it was a mad dash just to get out the math and I'm getting messages from people hey ATC really like this guy I don't even know that because I'm just starting to dive in myself yeah I'm doing it with everybody it's a great community I'm having fun here that's good that's good to know that's you really just like you put that together you spit it out and you're like it's like you 
wrote a book but didn't remember any of the words that you wrote. So you're like, all right, I'm gonna now I need to read it. It's an algorithm that I have. And it's not me. Ariel Cohen, the analyst, is not the ATC projections. That's an algorithm here. And then it's, of course, my job as the analyst. And I'm separating the two. I'm the projections guy, but I'm also mm -hmm. the analyst. And now I have to see, okay, do I agree with some of these projections? Do I not? In general, with projections, you want to agree with them more than you don't, right? You don't want to go very far off projections, even if you say, I really like this guy. Well, D don't change the projections all that much. But hey, I have an eye myself. If I know, I think the projections really d discount a player because he was injured last year and the projections really don't bake that in. Me as the analyst can say that's something that has to improve in projections. So that's well, where I stand with that, I think. Kevin, let me push that onto you. How strictly sh sh are you and should other people, do you think, be utilizing these projections, especially like in ATC's? Let's just keep the stick on that one specifically. I have really tried to get more and more strict each year the past several years. At First Pitch Arizona this year, Ariel was doing a live recording of Beat the Shift with Derek Cardi as his guest. So obviously they're talking projections. And I asked them a question. If there was ever a scenario where they would go against their projection. And Derek Cardi's response was, why would you want to? And I repeated the question and he said the exact same thing. Why would you want to? And I, and that's what it, I, that's really sunk into me. Now, Ariel made the, the stipulation there. If there's something going on where you think the plate appearances is going to vary to, to a substantial degree, one way or another, that might be the instance where you would make that adjustment, but you're not really adjusting the projections in that instance, you're only adjusting the playing time, right? So that's really sunk into me. The other thing I will say about this is I, I hear the, well, if everybody, if you go strictly by projections, you can expect to finish mid pack. My response to that is no, because that would only be the case if everybody is and everybody isn't like you just said, we all think we're smarter than the projections and <laughs> it, it some people are, depending on their other algorithm. Phil Dassault has his own algorithm. That's still projections, right? They're right. just not ones that we have access to. Yeah. So I, that I don't I, believe that's the case because other people aren't following them. Like the article you just referred to last year's, every single player I mentioned in that article going both directions, the, the projections were better than ADP. Yeah, I actually just wrote an article, do my yearly comparison of projections. And one thing I, I noticed is that if you only followed ADP and you basically just did what the market did, you would have lost uh, $2.7 per player in terms of auction value. If you would have followed projections, even an average projection, you would have lost only $1. Everyone loses money in an auction because there's players that jump up from the waiver wire midseason. So you know, what you draft is not going to be $260 worth. It's going to stay at 260 There are players that go in and out, so you expect to lose. But the projections did a lot better of not seeding as much value as ADP. So 100% in the long run, following projections work. I say that it's okay if, listen, it's a game here, and it's part of your fun. If you say, I really like this guy, no problem. Adjust his projection and draft to that number, and that's fine. But if you find yourself doing that too much, 
you're going to end up doing this and this. The ATC long-term projection is the best bet that you're going to have in, in the long term. And so you're not going to be able to beat the computer in the long term. Maybe for a player here and a player there and three out of ten players, sure. Seven out of ten players, you're going to be much better off by, by sticking mm-hmm. with projections. And the other thing I'll say, though, about projections, and people don't understand this concept, it's more about a hit rate than it is about magnitude. To be successful in using projections – you don't have to, oh, wow, I really projected he was a $30 player, and he was a $30 player. That's not the strength of projections. The strength is, do I buy the guy at ADP? Do I actually pay market or not? Is is it a hit or is it a miss? And projections on the whole do a great job of saying, yes, he will return more than the market says. No, he won't. He If you buy him, he will lose money for you. So, Projections, and that's why ATC really works really well, is because it's a crowdsourced projection, and it really minimizes the failures of picking players. So, you know, that's the advice about projections in general. It was a 15-team DC, so do or die, 50 players, 50 rounds, that's it. And a lot of people, several first-timers. So it was cool to get these people who had, we're talking seasoned veteran players that I know, but they've just never played on NFBC.com or been involved in these draft and holds, which is foreign to me until two years ago. I never really heard of it either. So it was a weird experience to try to express to my friend, my good friend, Joel, I've known him since, gosh, we used to listen to Stone Temple Pilots core in the basement. I remember we were begging for a snow day in 1992 in the basement, 93. And he was always a good dude, but I got him to play in this draft and hold. And he's like, what is going on? I don't get this. Like, I'm supposed to draft these players now and hope it works out later. Like, how do you develop a pitching? How do you develop a pitching rotation? Uh, I'm, I'm, should I have 10 pitchers? Should I have 12, 15? It's a lot of questions for newcomers. So I think there's a lot of confusion and uncertainty when it comes to drafting holds for the general fantasy baseball public. Yeah, I agree. I did my first, I don't want to my first ever, but I did my first few. 50 rounders on the NFBC last season. And it, it was a wake up call for sure. Like the strategy <laughs> is completely different. It's fairly different. There are a lot more things to take into account and that you really can't be thinking about um, or shouldn't be thinking about in a you know fab league where you can drop guys, pick up guys and make changes throughout the course of the season. So you can't do that in, the, in these drafts. So you're stuck with what you got. Yeah, I miss that. I miss that a lot. I think I'm a fab guy. I'm not quite sure yet but early returns of my experience of doing more types of formats i've done everything now best ball dcs whatever i've done them all points leagues head to heads i think i'm a fab guy i think i rely on the fact that i can make moves during the season and, and strike when the iron is hot is that what they say striking the I think iron that, that's about right yeah sure the <laughs> the cooking gets warm I, I don't know something like that all i know is that i was also jealous of kevin at first pitch because he was in that auction draft i popped in on that auction it was a live i mean real time salary cap draft and i was like whoa people are bidding and saying things in real time and they're going back and forth and this thing was so intense and fast-paced i was bored for it i'm like why did i choose the best ball draft what a regret for me so i will definitely be doing that type of draft if i get the chance especially in person it's a huge difference as compared to just sitting in your chair online oh yeah we had jeff erickson was the auctioneer he kept that thing moving he did. <laughs> Impressive, Jeff. Kudos to him. Jeff has uh, created uh, an aura around himself, and people just know that. If, if Jeff's going to be your 
auctioneer, your draft is going to move along. I didn't know that until I saw him <laughs> in action. But holy, Jeff Erickson, I was very impressed by you. Not that I wasn't already impressed, Jeff, because I know you're listening to this. You listen to every episode on The Wire. But I want to make it clear as well that when we tried to change it, because I was thinking for the Plaza Invitational this year, let's try a different format. So we're back and we are talking with uh, Jeff Erickson with RotoWire about the projections that he puts together over at RotoWire, along with how he determines how to put playing time associated with each player, whether it's their spot in the lineup or the, the depth charts or just skills and roles that they might have. But Jeff, talk to me a little bit about how you put together your projections in the first place. How much of your projections are straight, like algorithmic Excel <laughs> documents and how much of it is all right, I see what the computers are spinning out, but I just have a feeling I'm going to tweak this manually. So I wish I were better at manipulating Excel. I wish I had a more of a programming sort of mind. I don't. I use three-year weighted averages on Marcel the Monkey as a kind of a starting point. And, but think about the last three years and using three-year weighted <laughs> averages. It's a disaster. You got Happy Fun Ball in 2019. You got 60 games in 2020. Let me tell you, that's, that wreaks all sorts of havoc in terms of getting the right amount of sample and a dis- whether it's even telling enough of a sample. And then last year, you had two different balls. You had the crackdown on the sticky stuff. There's a lot of things. And then the reaction to a 60-game season in terms of injuries and usage and all, all that goes with that. So I do a ton of manual adjustments. Whether And then that's before even looking at like player by player. And Okay, age, what sort of injury history, the organization, ballpark, all that sort of stuff. there's a lot of throwing stuff at a wall. I'm not going to lie. I wish I had the brain of Derek Carty just to program it all in, but I'm trying to estimate it in my best I can. And that's just to do the the baseline projection. And then to try to turn that into a ranking into a value is another different thing. How much do you take factor in like the declining stolen bases in the game? How much more are you going to value those stolen base guys? Same thing with saves. You know, there's the same amount of saves are in baseball, but they're dispersed among a lot more different pitchers our ability to roster those saves has diminished over time because of the Rays and the Reds and the Mariners and other teams like that. We need a lower target number now to hit our category uh, targets. But so long story it is it, I'm basically, I'm trying a lot of different things to try to adjust that player's projection, whether it's playing time as well as his output. Well, this isn't even considering the the rumors that we're hearing right now with the CBA rule changes that could go into effect in 2023 with mm-hmm. the larger bases and the banning the shift and the pitch clock and all that doing projections going into 2023 does not sound like a lot of fun based on you know, the variables that we might be that we might be. it's difficult got to remember what we're still doing is trying to do projections for fantasy baseball though if it's not fun then you probably need to find a different <laughs> business I, I complain about it sometimes just as i complain about the value meter during football season but it's still a fun act it's a fun job i don't have a real job so i, I want to maintain that but it's a layer of complication to say all right and as i mentioned we are going to talk about streaming pitchers we talked about streaming hitters last week with David Mendelson, and of course, we've got Michael Simeon, SP streamer himself, to talk a little bit about a lot about streaming pitchers in season, whether you're in a 12 team or 15 teamer. So, first and foremost, Michael, we are a fab oriented podcast throughout the course of the season. We make recommendations on who you should be picking up, whether it's for pitchers, hitters, categories, what have you. So, let me ask you in general, what is your personal overall fab strategy typically? Do you target certain positions? Do you know, do you spend all your time streaming different either pitchers or hitters or any other kind of ideas 
of how you utilize your fab throughout the course of the season. Yeah, in terms of spending, I don't like to be the one who spends a ton of money. I try and keep it to, I I don't want to go to triple digits. I'll put it that way. I'm pretty conservative, basically. But I'm going to go against my entire brand here. And I actually try to really good, obviously injuries happen, so it doesn't, always work out and you need to do what you got to do. But I actually try and build a really good rotation and I actually prefer to stream hitters for my teams. So I tend to really target that because I feel like it's easier to add hitters weekly and get counting stats that you need as opposed to pitching where you could get blown up in two categories easily and basically lose out on the whole week based on one outing. And I know that's actually becoming popular within the like the high stakes industry where a lot of people are leaning more towards streaming hitting and it just does it makes a lot of sense i basically actually got into what i do because i'm in a points league and that's completely different where you basically have to stream pitchers to win weeks because you get so many more points with pitching compared to hitting. But in in real typical fab leagues, I'm actually really targeting hitters more so than pitchers. Obviously, if I do have to stream pitching, I will. When you're looking at two-star pitchers compared to one-star pitchers, I'd much rather take a good matchup with a one-star pitcher than a two-star pitcher, in my opinion. And yeah, and that's really it. Again, everything. the problem with fab is it's so hard to talk about because it's so situational based on your team. So like, it really depends on what's happening with my team at the time but going coming out of a draft i'm hoping that my rotation is good enough where i don't really have to stream that much yeah i think it does make a lot of sense to to stream hitters throughout the course of the season if for no other reason budgetary reasons because you can typically even in a 15 teamer and we talk about it every week in season like the waterfall bids are extremely important and if you can have four or five options at a certain position or looking for a certain stat that you're trying to stream you can convince yourself that listen i don't need to spend 90 dollars on this one guy i can put in a bid of 40 dollars for all five of them and i'll get the one that i want and i'll save 50 bucks of fab be able to use next week or to use it on that two-star pitcher because here's the thing there are only so many two-star pitchers that everybody's going to be targeting. So yep. everybody's going to be spending up. There's only so many guys going into the closer role on a given week that people didn't grab the week before that everybody you know, is going to spend $130 on Julian Merriweather. I feel bad beating yeah. that beating that horse <laughs> a little too much every single week, but it, it's a pretty prominent example that we've all lived through. But then you also have your Tyler Naquins of the world that don't work out in that moment mm-hmm. as well. Kevin... Do you think that going into 2022 that we've talked about your fab strategy and how you budget week in, week out, do you think that anything has changed for you going into this season uh, from what you've either taken away from 2021 versus just how you see the player pool working out or with the... I know you're very confident. I think a lot of people are, but you know, the schedule, not knowing what's going to happen and, and the rules that might change, the balls that might change. Are you planning on changing that up next year or you, are you going in with the same fab kind of mindset? I'm going in with the same mindset, but I already think we may need a backup plan as well because everybody talks about this now it, it, yeah. and looking we're looking at our pitcher streamers two weeks ahead everybody started talking about that last year so are we looking at three weeks ahead now <laughs> or should we start looking at oh maybe the guy that got roughed up and 
had a horrible matchup and I have an extra spot and I want to grab him and stash him, not even having any idea what I'm going to do with him for the next week or two. I think it's going to be really interesting because generally for the past couple of years, I've loved streaming pitchers. I mean, you get blown up once in a while. You got to have a nice base, protect your ratios with, as Nick likes to say, have your four guys you can throw out there every week. They're in your lineup and then be looking because my big thing with streaming pitchers is someone in your league is doing it. So if somebody comes up and has a couple of good starts and sticks he's not going to be available the person that was streaming him is already going to have him rostered so i I think to some extent we do need to be grabbing these guys and that the opportune time ideally is when they have a good matchup coming up but that's gonna i think it's going to be harder to do than it has been in the past with pretty much everybody looking to do the same thing it is still my plan going in but that might have to vary off of that a little bit quick break. All right. So we're back. And like I mentioned before, we are going to be talking majority of, or the rest of the way here talking about hitters that we like to stream or the idea of streaming hitters to whether it's to gain extra stolen bases to play matchups. If you need a power surge and, and a lot of people end up doing this in the last two months of the year. But really if you're playing April, the same way you play September, you can maximize the amount of plate appearances you're putting forth, rack up the, the counting stats, and hopefully not do anything to damage your, your ratio, your batting average, or your OBP, depending on the league format you're playing in. But before we get into that specifically, Manny, let me, let's get your take on what is your overall fab strategy typically? Not specifically about hitters, but just what do you when you're going into a fab league and you're playing and you're playing the the weekly fab game throughout the season? What are the targets that you're specifically looking for? Are you specifically just are you thinking about fab while you're drafting, or are you using fab as more of a, a way to fix you know problems that you that your draft caused you, or is it just just filling injuries? Talk to me about how you view fab and how to use it. A little bit of all the above, like what you said. I obviously, when I'm during my draft, I'm not necessarily thinking about it too much, but during the season, I'm looking to use it to plug in holes because sometimes I don't know how my team's going to play out until the season starts. And if you draft an example, maybe you draft Giovanni Gallegos and Alex Reyes is the closer. And you're like, oh, shoot, that was a bunch of saves I thought I had right there. And now I'm going to actually be struggling in the category. So I got to go find a closer. And remember, everybody, everybody remembers the whole Jordan Romano, Julian Merriweather thing. And everybody like right away was trying to go for that closer. And I found throughout the years, I try not to overspend like as a fab strategy. And I've heard people like talk about averaging it out. This is what you should spend per week. And the first year I had fab, it hurt me because I tried to fix too much too quickly and picked up guys that weren't useful for me for the stretch run that I thought would be. So next year I did a lot better with that. But I think overall I use it to fix problems and to address positions or you know address needs that I didn't get in the draft that I'm seeing play out during the season. But I'm trying to not overspend and I'm not trying to be like, oh, this is a week as I'm going to throw a third of my fab on this guy because he's going to fix everything for me. A lot of times it doesn't work out. So just be very smart with how you spend and uh, a lot of times, especially too, if you wait out until later on in the season when people haven't spent as much, then you can easily outbid guys for players that are going to fill that role. So a lot of things I've learned along the way with that. 
Yeah. And of course it matters on how active your league is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was in a, me and Yancey were texting the other day, Yancey Ian, and we were talking about how funny it was. We were in a, an OCQ. We were in an online championship qualifier last year together. And there was a stretch run toward in, I think in August, even not even September where we were the only two people bidding for three or four weeks straight. It's like, there were nobody else bidding in this league. Like what is going on? It's like people just check out. They just check mm-hmm. out. They forget stuff happens, especially, especially, and I'm guilty of this in one of my fan tracks leagues because it was the old last year. I had one league in, on fan tracks and a bunch of leagues on NFPC. So all my attention went to the league, mm-hmm. the format that I had all the teams on. And I literally would forget to place bids on my fan tracks. League. And the same thing would be true. If you only have that one, I think this is a reason why we hear some criticism about players who play on TGFBI kind of checking out early because there's a lot of players in TGFBI. That's the only league they have on the NFBC format. So as important, as fun as that league, it's really easy when you only have one league on one format, but you have multiple leagues on other formats to forget about it. So be aware of how your the awareness of the rest of your the teams in your league and how active they are. That's obviously really important as well. No, 100% agree. And there's a good point with the fact of if you have one team on one league or one team on one format and you're in your, you're like, I'm forgetting to check that totally. I, I write my leagues down, but I still like last year, I remember just like I had a lot of, it was the first year being in the industry for me, like doing like where people were asking me to join leagues and I joined way too many. I, I like I overcommitted. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was in like, I think I was in 18 last year and I just was like, I found myself, even though I had every league written down, like something comes up on that Sunday and I'm, I'm doing this and I'm checking and I'm just like, I remember on Tuesday, I'm like, I forgot to, to do my fat for this week and all the good guys are gone. And I'm like, and just got to a point where I was a little overwhelmed and I was like, you know what? There are certain leagues that matter a little bit more than others. I'm going to make sure I, I check those. And then the ones that are a little bit more lax, I'm just going to have to take an L. And I'm just going to drive myself crazy trying to like do this for all these leagues. And that's something you just make sure everybody does too. You don't do too many fab leagues to where you're going to feel overwhelmed and it make you not enjoy doing it because it definitely can weigh on you some. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Unfortunately, I am not joined this week by my normal co-host, Kevin Hasting. You should still be following him on the Twitter at Hasting Kevin. He is on little hiatus, little vacation in Sonoma, California, tasting some wine, eating some cheese, the things you do. Um, and so it's behoove of me to bring in somebody who is probably in Kevin's backyard or Kevin's in his backyard <laughs> at the moment. And that's very special guest, Mr. Eno Saris. Of course, can be found writing for The Athletic, podcasting regularly on Rates and Barrels, which of course you can find anywhere you're listening to this podcast. And you can follow Eno on the Twitter if you're not, if you're the one person already that's not doing it. Eno Saris. And you can find that in the show description as well, link to all of his work. Thanks, man, for taking the time for to break down some stuff with me. And we're going to talk a little bit about some possible pitchers you can find off the wire in season that you might want to keep on your roster longer than just the stream. But before we get into all that, just how's the week of actual activity been treating you? Oh, it's crazy. I just filed 5,000 words uh, to The <laughs> Athletic. I had the dumbest idea was to uh, basically do fantasy spin and re- real life spin on every move since the lockout ended. 
Uh, you had to do both it, angles, not just let somebody else do one and you take the other. No, I thought it was a good idea because I was like, hey, it's exciting. and All this stuff is happening. And then when I started doing it, I was like, wow, there are a lot of one-year deals for relievers in here. <laughs> and I and think I, one one of my blurbs is like, was this a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. End of thought. <laughs> right. I'm not sure this was a good idea. <laughs> anyway, yeah. It's also interesting, I think, in fantasy because we didn't really stop. I'm always like of two minds where I've got two jobs. I've got a beat on the real life baseball end where I'm covering what's new in terms of research and uh, analytics and that sort of deal. I did a piece on biomechanics, you know, and then uh, then I've got the fantasy beat that I've also do. But I felt very uh, bifurcated, two brains, whereas like. One brain fantasy was like, yeah, I'm doing my DC drafts. I'm sharing my TGFBI. Like everything's going normal. And that one was just beginning to run out of steam where I was like, oh, God, what's going to happen if we don't have a season or if we don't have two months of season? That was just starting to run out of steam. And it was really bad when that was running out of steam because the other one was like, I had I've had no ideas for two weeks. <laughs> and so when they were both both sides of my brain were like oh no <laughs> that was the low point but then thank god it was like three days later we had baseball just, and we had everything like and now it's like a fire hose of as transactions ex- and <laughs> as exciting as the last week of november was as we saw all those transactions happening all at once it's been like you said a fire hose in comparison in the last i guess it's been almost a week now we're uh, 90 days of transactions yeah it's just the last five <laughs> <laughs> and then as we're recording this on Tuesday, there's still a lot. There's still a lot still more out there. Left. There's still yeah, some major Correa's players out, out there. there. Freeman's out there. Cassianos hasn't signed. Story. Rizzo hasn't signed. Freeman. That oh. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I file my piece tomorrow, I'll be like, oh, crap. Another 10. Yep. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that again. Sorry. <laughs> you got my 5,000 words. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we're going to get into some some prospect talk. Of course, we got Chris on here. We got to talk about some prospects and with the supposed time manipulation date coming up next week. We're wondering if we'll see some extra call ups in the next week and a half. But before we do that, we're going to take this quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, of course, we are back and we are talking with Chris Clegg of Fantrax and, of course, myself and Kevin Hastings. We are going to talk a little bit about 
prospects and who we might be expecting to come up. It seems as though everybody and their cousin actually made their debut this year, whether it be on the opening day or very shortly right after that, whether it be CJ Abrams being added to the roster at the last possible second or expected Bobby Witt Jr. being all but announced uh, weeks prior. So not all of them, Chris, have been hitting the ground running, which everybody warns you about, right? Going into a season like, yeah, all the hype over X, Y, and Z, and then, but most of them struggle. Most of them, Mike Trout struggled when he first got called up. Vlad struggled when he first came up. Even Wander, for the first week, stronger, <laughs> struggled when he came up. They all can't hit the ground running like Jordan did or, or anything like that. So, Talk to me about which prospects do you see struggling in the first two and a half weeks of the season that you are legitimately concerned about either getting sent back down or sent down for the first time in the case of sent down to AAA for the first time, like in Julio Rodriguez or CJ Abrams didn't even hit AAA yet, or just losing playing time or, 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 or just not figuring it out. You have to think that Julio Rodriguez could be at some risk in while there's a lot of factors going against him right now. You, you've probably seen on Twitter at this point where people constantly complaining about him getting these called third strikes out of the zone. And that's a real thing. He's been squeezed pretty badly. But still, if we're not producing, then you know, I don't know. It's tough to see him keeping this, especially as you mentioned, a 21-year-old that skipped AAA. Kyle Lewis potentially coming back soon. But at the same time, you also have Jared Kelnick struggling as well. C.J. Abrams is the one that I do think legitimately could be sent down he wasn't ready in my opinion while Rodriguez much more ready Abrams coming off a, a major injury last season this seemed like such a desperation move by the Padres just to get him up there to try to force something it's not like they could just continue to open up the checkbook and get the next guy when Tatis went down you know they, they've you know ponied up for several big contracts recently and you know couldn't really see them doing that right now so they thought abrams was the solution yeah uh, to me just not quite ready he needs a little more seasoning and that's okay that's not to say anything negative about abrams who you know was very good at double a last year before getting hurt but to me when you're coming back from injury like this it, to me you need more reps in triple a so i could see him going down triple a and getting some work there so abrams i think is at risk and it's interesting most of these top guys have really struggled actually Every single one of these top prospects that are in the majors right now are, are struggling. Some of the rookies that are performing well aren't the, the huge name guys, but for the most part, all of them are struggling. And I, and I think that's normal. I think people put too high of expectations on them. Not everybody comes up and is Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna Jr. and hits the ground running and is just elite from day one. There's such a transitional period for prospects when they do get caught up. Major league pitching's so different. You know, you can they can attack hitters so much differently than minor leaguers. Not to say that's anything against a minor league pitcher, but that's there's a reason that the pitchers are in the major leagues, and we see them just be able to attack these hitters a lot differently. Velocities higher, commands better, spin stuff, all that stuff is better for pitchers in the major leagues. So we often see these hitting prospects, especially, come up and struggle. I do think that with time, we'll see these guys be fine. I really do think Julio Rodriguez will be fine. I think Bobby Witt Jr. will be fine. Every one of these guys is going to be okay in the long run. But this year, I, I could see some concern, especially early on as, he's, as we're talking. It's a small sample, but it's still something to factor in because 
a lot of these guys were moving up draft boards considerably towards the end of draft season, especially once we found out Rodriguez was going to make the roster. Bobby Witt was going very high in drafts. So you paid a pretty big capital for some of these players and they're not performing. So what do you do? It's, it puts you in a tough spot, but I think you have to hold at least for now, knowing it's a small sample, there will be an adjustment period, but it makes it tough, especially, you know, if you have a shallow bench and you need players that are performing. So it does make it tough with prospects, but as always, there's an adjustment period. I think they'll be okay. I'm not overly worried about many of these guys other than Abrams is one who I do think could be sent down just from the standpoint of he just needs more work at, at the minor league level, in my opinion, because he didn't really get that last year. And just the, the jump was pretty significant. Yeah. He's up for a very specific reason in, in, in San Diego. And when that reason is no longer exists, when Tatis comes back, where does it even play? He was called up and didn't even start, didn't even play in the opening day game, a prospect of his caliber and his name and everybody was just chomping at the bit to see him and they didn't even play him. So there's an obvious reason why he's there. Kevin, you're talk you talk about a lot about the aggressiveness that you see yourself about dropping players, something you got from 2020, you carried over to 2021 and you expect to carry over to 2022. How does that aggressiveness to drop either under the performers or players that aren't you don't expect to figure it out and be um, a, a positive impact to your roster in these prospects this early on in the season, depending on, like Chris said, depending on the draft capital that maybe you put in, or maybe you're not putting any stock into the capital that you put in. I think it's even harder right now, this season, at this particular time, with how dead the baseball is. How much is that contributing to some of these guys' struggles? Because a lot of people are struggling that aren't rookies. So that makes it much more difficult right now. So I think at least right now, I'm still holding on to these guys at least for a couple more weeks. Be it, It's, we got to see what happens with this ball. I, I, I don't think they can keep it this way. We had the whole ban on sticky stuff last year because pitchers were dominating too much. And we supposedly the humidor in every stadium was supposed to help in some ballparks with the ball movement. And the, the run scoring environment, even when you adjust for ballparks and weather and everything at the time of year is down so much that it this is not going to stay this way. And I I expect something to change relatively soon. Don't tell um, the Cubs this, by the way. They did out, not get put the memo. 21 today. Exactly. <laughs> that was absolutely crazy. So I, I think in most years, with the intentions I had coming into the season, as you said, of being willing to cut bait sooner on players, I probably would be considering it at this point with some of these guys. But due to this deadened ball, I'm putting it off for a couple of weeks. Not just about dropping players. Like, what about just not starting them? They're That's these- where I'm at. Yeah. yeah, I'm not starting a lot of these guys. I have a team with Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez on it. They're both on my bench. It's hard, man. That's a hard thing to do when you're trying to be disciplined. And it's probably some of the best advice that, that we could probably give. It's just not only disciplined in your draft, but stay disciplined in your roster construction throughout the course of the season. And that's your active roster and your bench construction don't be afraid just because like I I drafted Bobby Witt in plenty of fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, depending on the format. And I don't have a problem putting him on my bench and hoping that my, you know, 
15th or 20th round backup, my middle infielder who's shortstop eligible can fill in the gap where Bobby Wood's not doing. Yes, of course, he could figure it out at any time. And you could yeah, miss out on you could miss out on that half a week of production. That's in, in a hitter scenario. That's the worst case scenario. You miss out on three games of just what you think Bobby Witt could do or what J Rod could do or who whatever. And the pitcher, you miss one start. Like is more likely it's a rotation spot. And so don't be afraid to stash them on your bench, even though you played paid high draft capital for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's the fear. Everybody has that fear of missing out and. You, you might miss a couple of home runs and a couple of stolen bases from a guy, but hopefully that's, even if he's on your bench, that's a good sign of things to come and you get him in there once you see it happen. It's like when we talk about draft, uh, when we talk about looking for pitchers that are going to have two starts, not this week, but next week, you're bidding on them in fab now to stash them on your bench. You're not bidding on them to start them. Like your prospects and your guys that you did all this research for over the offseason, you got to trust yourself on that a little bit and hold on to them. Just put them on your bench and see what they can do and they can get it back up. But you don't have to start them in your starting lineup every single week. Let's go to the other side, Chris. Like who, first of all, of the ones that are, you, you named a couple names that you might be, you said CJ Abrams you're worried about. J-Rod is a worry, but who started off slow that you're just not worried about at all? They could turn around yesterday and you wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, like most of them, I feel that way. Spencer Torkelson's one who he's, we've seen him coming around now. He's getting to the power, which is great to see. He's making better contact and that progression has been good. I I think we see Julio Rodriguez get there too. He's just been very passive and his discipline is so good, which has led to those strikeouts, just getting deeper into counts and he's selective. He knows the strike zone so well and he's just been getting squeezed by it. He just got to swing and be more aggressive. The good thing is he's got four stolen bases already, which is impressive. (laughs) He runs really well and he defies like everything about like sprint speed per se. Like he was like a 50 grade runner who got better throughout his time in the minor leagues where he just got faster and he's got such a will to run. And you look, and he's continued to hit the ball hard, like multiple batted balls over 110 miles an hour. I haven't updated my um, exit velocity database, but yeah, he had ranked top five in 80th percentile exit velocity through last Wednesday, I think was last time I'd updated. So he was like top five overall among all hitters. So hitting the ball hard, he's got to get some balls to fall. And he's going to get to his power. He's going to get to home runs. I think Bobby Witt does as well. So all these guys are going to be okay, but I don't know. It just depends on the lease for the teams, what what they're willing to do with these players. But I think for the most part, you're going to see all these guys get a shot to continue to play every day, unless it's just absolutely horrific. All right. We are back on the wire podcast with, I am Adam Howe joined by Kevin Hastings and today's special guest, Derek Cardi, the creator of the bat and the bat X projections. We are talking to Derek about exactly how he adjusts the bat throughout the season and why that's important, especially since the bat is offered as a uh, daily fantasy tool as well through Roto Grinders. And if you're doing daily fantasy and you're not utilizing that tool, you're doing you're probably doing it wrong, or you could at least be doing it better. So, Derek, can you talk to me in a very general sense about what it is that 
how the bat gets adjusted as time goes on throughout the season, as walls get pushed back in stadiums, as balls are you know speculated to be different in different stadiums. Like what kind of noise are you trying to filter out in order to make the most accurate system that you possibly can, which you have done uh, year in, year out? Yeah, essentially, you're just trying to figure out what matters and, and to what extent. And as much as possible, let the system sort out all the specifics with uh, with the Camden Yards fences. We knew ahead of time, okay, this is going to have an impact because it's just a huge move of the fences and it's going to have an impact. But what's the extent of the impact and how do we measure that? And so that's the kind of thing that I had to go in. By. I've basically developed a model within the system that says, okay, when you move a fence by one foot or you raise a fence by one foot, this is what happens. And and so you apply that to the move that Baltimore made. And then based on what we've seen historically with teams moving fences, we can get a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in Baltimore. So that gets applied to the projection. As far as the ball being dead this year and that sort of thing, the bat has a system in place that looks at basically league-wide rates over the course of the whole season and over a smaller, more recent stretch And so it looks at those two things. It adjusts them for context, obviously over the smaller stretches or early in the year, there's going to be things to account for. When it's looking the first week of April, trying to figure out, okay, what's going on with the ball this year? We've seen mostly aces so far after the first couple days, but we've also had cold temperatures. Maybe we haven't seen any course field yet. So like it'll adjust for all of these things and say, okay, a Once you adjust for it, this is what the league-wide strikeout rate is, the league-wide home run rate, the league-wide BABIP, walk rate, whatever. And then it will say, okay, based on past tests that I've run or that the bat has run, it knows how stable each of these things are, how long it takes before you can begin trusting them. And so it factors that in. And little by little, the bigger the sample size gets, the more it starts to trust it and the more it starts to trust it. And it it is constantly reevaluating basically what it thinks the league-wide run environment right now or, or going forward is going to be. And so it's just filled with stuff like that, that is just constantly evaluating things and adjusting based on the most recent data. Yeah, I think that... The, the thing, especially with the bat and just projection systems, that update throughout the season, I know not all of them don't like Ariel Cohen's that told us early in the season, he doesn't update his throughout the course of the season. But I know, I know there are multiple ones that do is the fact that these projection systems ex- with the bat specifically, you're taking so many of these things into account that I think a lot of people take that for granted and they, they create noise or they listen to noise where they don't have to, especially like on Twitter or just wherever. And if you're, if you find a projection system that you trust or that has put up historically good results, like the bat has in recent years, that maybe you're able to put a little bit more trust into that and go off on your own. If that's not what you do, <laughs> like on a, I know it's not what I do professionally or just, in, and so I want to give a shout out to that, just that aspect of the game. Kevin, how, how do you utilize if you utilize projections at all throughout the course of the season, especially ones that get updated like the bat, compared to how do you use it in preseason? And we talked about that a lot in the before the season started, how important they are, at least as a starting, as a jumping off point. How important are they to you when you're looking at fab for a week on a weekly basis, never mind just rest of season? I was very fortunate to get to have a couple of conversations with Derek in Arizona this past year at First Pitch Arizona. And He really made me realize something I already knew, but I wasn't really accepting. And and that's 
trusting the projections, things that we think this may, I have a reason that I like someone more than they do, or they don't, they're probably already accounted for in the projections. And I think that's what he was briefly alluding to just a moment ago. It's probably already accounted for in those projections. Other than with, I, I, I think the only thing is if we see for a, a good reason that there's going to be a difference in playing time, plate appearances, innings pitched that the projections have not incorporated yet. That's really the only time that I'm going to think I know more than the projections do in season <laughs> now as well. In the past, there was a, I remember it was a few years ago, and this is why the Bat X is so awesome. I remember specifically a few years ago on Rates and Barrels, Sarah's saying, that barrels were not incorporated in projection systems. So that off season, I adjusted things a little bit, but based on that a little bit, Derek's taken care of that for us. And, <laughs> and he's already done that with most things and we may not realize it. So if you start changing things because of a certain aspect, you're probably giving it too much weight because it's already accounted for. So to answer your question, a lot more now in season than I Kevin makes like such a great point. So many people try to get you know, into the weeds of like advanced stats and I'm going to analyze this about this player. And this is why I know that I'm better than the projections. And it's like the projections know these things too, but they're not inherently biased the way the human brain can be. And it's accounting for these things in a systematic way based on what we know about how much these things matter and how they impact performance based on what has happened over years and hundreds of players that we've seen this data for. So yeah, one of the most important things I always tell people is just understand what goes into a projection. Because if you're trying to beat a projection or you're trying to get a little bit edge of edge beyond the projection you really need to be accounting for something that the projection isn't because otherwise you're just spinning your wheels and you're probably going to lose accuracy because the human brain is just not capable of accounting for these things better than a, a computer can. But Derek, those gifts are so nasty. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to draft somebody based on the gifts alone. Yeah, I, I, I can appreciate. I've heard you say this before on other places, and I'm glad you're able to echo it again here for my own sake, if not also for our listeners. The fact that you have to find something that they're not projecting for. And if you think that's important, sure, fine. Make Build your projections based on that. But more than likely... As Kevin said, if if it's something that's important to the player, it's being is being accounted for in most projections and especially in the bad X where you're taking into account all the stat cast data that wasn't, as I said, wasn't being accounted for prior. Yeah, Adam, yeah, exactly. I think I've, I think I've brought this up previously on the show in the offseason, but that in Arizona, I asked Derek if there was anything he would take into consideration and go against his own projections and and his response was why would you want to <laughs> yeah again it's really just like if something is not in the system or if it's something that is hard to quantify i think those are the places where you can find the most edge you guys mentioned playing time like i'm not trying to systematically project playing time it's just coming from this year it just used atc playing time but if you think that you have some insight into how a guy's going to be utilized, you can probably beat the bat on those types of things. That, that's the kind of stuff really that I think you're going to find the most edge with. It's not by looking into a guy's barrel rate or his zone contact percentage or whatever like that. that that's the kind of stuff where I really don't think there's much use in, in doing that, except to maybe identify guys with higher upside because a projection is 
the average expectation, but there are guys that will have upside beyond that. If a guy did something that looked good over a small sample, the projection won't buy into it. But if he continues doing that, well, then you have upside. I guess that's a good point in the fact that if you want to jump on somebody early, you might beat the projection in that way because they're not taking into account such small samples. That's you might beat be... it on that one individual exactly. guy. If you were to do that over and over again, you would lose to the projection on average. Mm-hmm. But in some leagues, you really just want that upside. And you might take being wrong 80% of the time because the 20% of the time you're right, you win the league. So I, I do see that kind of argument sometimes. And I think it, it's valid. And I can venture to I can see that working in like a dynasty league more often than a redraft league where you're able to take a little bit more chances for a long-term result rather than it hurting you that much more in the short term in a redraft league. Yeah, absolutely. Projections are notoriously pessimistic on prospects just because so many of them bust because we don't have as robust data for minor leaguers because so many of them wind up being terrible, honestly, is the real reason. (laughs) And people just don't like to admit it, but so many of them wind up being terrible or at least just average. But yeah, you can definitely look for upside there because some of them are going to be Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis. Uh, a lot more are going to be Jared Kalenic and whoever else is. No, I was really wondering who you were going to go with your example there. And <laughs> Kalenic was the one in my head as well. So shout out to all the Kalenic stands out there. So that was good. Dylan Carlson, as you mentioned earlier, Kevin, uh, might fit into that boat as well, even with his uh, recent hot start. So we'll uh, we'll see how everybody how everybody ends up. And obviously with a couple of call-ups this weekend, we'll you know have even more sample size there to see who's going to be the next Acuna versus who's going to be not so much. All right. That was all great. Derek, I really appreciate the insight into kind of how you're adjusting the bat throughout the season. And as I mentioned earlier, the uh, DFS version of the bat is available over at Roto Grinders and you guys should be utilizing that, especially if you're playing DFS, but also just in general, looking for that uh, those projections for the next week or so. If you're looking at Fab, it's a good tool when you're looking at those scenarios as well based on the matchups and what have you. So make sure you're checking that out. Quick break. All right, and we are back. Of course, you're listening to On The Wire. My name is Adam Howe. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Kevin Hasting, and our special guest, Torres. You can follow him on the Twitter, at Torres Takes. And I'm venturing to guess that the Twitter handle has a lot to do with the type of content that you do put out, Torres, and those uh, little two-minute bites, if you will, those two-minute videos that, that you put out on your Twitter handle, which everybody should be paying attention to because they're, they're just really easy to digest they're really easy to like to consume in general and it's great information that's just put together it doesn't take a lot of effort or or it doesn't take a lot of time <laughs> to con- to to bring those to light and to listen to them and you're the unless you have something newer that i'm missing i like the newest one you have uh, on your timeline the one where your daughter comes over and, and interrupts you when you were really excited about trevor's story uh, hitting a couple of bombs so that was nice that was nice and it's nice story to know time, yeah. yeah yeah it's nice to know too it's nice to see that insight from others and i know kevin you've got kids i've got a family and it's nice to see the real life implications of what happens in your fantasy leagues and how it affects not only you as a person but like your family as well and have your family be so involved in what you are doing for her to make that appearance in your video that was uh that was really cool yeah yeah she's like 
she loves being in the videos. She keeps asking me like when we're going to do our next one. So yeah, it is a fun way. <laughs> Obviously I can't sit down. Like she's not going to understand the game that we play, but it's like getting her involved. Obviously I'm spending a lot of time on this game. So to have her involved in it in some way is fun and it's something we could connect over. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I appreciate the the kind words you know, uh, about the content that I'm putting out there. Yeah, it's really, that's the purpose is just to put things out that are easily digestible. I started doing them. I I was writing for a while and I enjoyed that, but it's, it it takes a lot more time to put together an article as I'm sure than to put out a a two minute video. So that's why I started doing it. And it seems some people have gotten some good feedback, trying to make some time to do some more, but uh, yeah, appreciate the, the, the feedback. Yeah, man, I agree. It doesn't, it does feel like it takes a lot of, you know, time to put together like a whole article, depending on what you're writing about or how often you're writing. I do find that the more often you write, obviously the easier each article yeah. is because you, you're always on it. That's all, always what you're doing. But I think what I, I don't downgrade the fact that it takes you, let's just put it this way it takes you more than two minutes. I guarantee to put together what you're going to write and or do in those two minute videos. And what are you getting out of that extra that time? Like you're putting in a lot more time to put out a two minute bit. Like this episode for this podcast will go out and it'll probably be around an hour, maybe an hour and a half or so. Sometimes more than an hour and a half of prep goes into putting this on all of our parts, whether it's Kevin, myself, or you or any of our other guests. And I think that gets lost a lot of the time when people are reading or listening or watching videos and what have you. So what are you getting out of that extra prep time that people aren't? Yeah, for me, it's just, it's a creative outlet. It's also, it's been good for me personally, just because it's a way for me to engage with people that share this passion of mine. I was on Twitter for years, like passively in the background, and I never felt like I had something to say. Or I felt like I had something to say, but nobody would care. Nobody would listen. So it's it feels good to put yourself out there and to get positive feedback. I just want to use this opportunity to say, if there's anybody out there listening who feels like they have something to say or feels like they have something to contribute, put yourself out there. What's the worst that could happen? Like I, at first I was like, oh my gosh, should I, what are people going to think? And, and I don't know, some people probably like them. Some people probably think they're stupid, but you know what? It doesn't like just to put yourself out there feels good. So I encourage people to do that. Another thing you, you mentioned how this stuff takes time. So people who are consuming content, I always try to do this. If you see good stuff out there, let that person know about it. It really, because obviously nobody's getting rich off of this. We do it because it's a passion of ours. But when we put that time and effort in to get that positive feedback, that means so, so much. Yeah. Just want to highlight that. I, I think that's, that's, why this is such a good community. I think there is a lot of that positive energy. But again, if you're seeing something good, send that person a DM, send that person a tweet. However, I, I, I think that's really important. Yeah. If you like a podcast, throw a review on their yeah, podcast stream. Absolutely. I'm just saying, I'm just, that's just an option. I'm just, that's all I'm going to throw out there. Yeah. I think I touched on it before and just creating content, in my opinion, is from our perspective, as we are creating content, as we literally speak, like for me, I think regular content creation just helps me almost more so than our listeners or readers of my articles or what have you. And it just keeps me more knowledgeable about the the players and the leagues and the things that I'm doing on a regular basis. And so I commend you for not having 
as I said before, like having a home, you're just doing this on your Twitter account and you're not doing it anywhere else. Like you said, you were writing before, but just doing your own thing right now. But I commend you for doing that and just staying with it and not having that. I don't know. Motivation is not the right word, but like that, that forced motivation of having an employer, if you will, and still doing it because it should help you stay nimble and stay on top of your, uh, what you're doing is, as you said, not doing it to get rich, but obviously you're, you're playing in some leagues where there's a decent amount of money on the line and you're hoping to at least win them (laughs) or at least get in the money. So I, I think that the, I think that's beneficial as well. So to echo what you're saying, if you're out there and you have something to say, you could find it beneficial to just put it out there. And yeah, there's a ton of podcasts out there. Yes, there's a lot of voices out there in general, but you can always have more. And again, if you're just doing it for yourself, then what's the harm? If nothing else, somebody's going to find it. Yeah. And as far as uh, I, I see here in the notes, I'll answer this question about not writing for an established site. I was for a while and there, Rasball is fantastic. But I think, and I just wanted to relate this to a larger point. I try to be very cognizant of my limits. Like I know right now with what I have in my professional and personal life, like to take on another responsibility, a thing that I have to do would tip the scales too far to one side where like something would have to suffer in my life. So I think to relate this to to fantasy baseball, like we need to know our limits in terms of like how many leagues we're playing, right? I'm very intentional about the amount of leagues that I play in because I know that if I'm taking on too much, my performance is going to suffer. And thinking about as it relates to even fab, we got to know our limits there. Don't be the dude that's spending 900 or the woman that's spending $900 of your fab in the first few weeks and then wondering what the heck happened. Like you got to live in the moment, but you also got to have some foresight. So just wanted to kind of put that out there, this idea more in general, just knowing what your limits are and putting boundaries in place. Yeah, Kevin, that, that kind of goes toward a question I was going to ask you as a follow-up. You and I, we're at PitcherList and we exclusively put all our content out through PitcherList. You do two things, if I'm not mistaken. You do this podcast and you do your fab article every week. Like, What stops you from venturing forth even further and using your expertise to dive into deeper questions or more regular articles. Do you have that same idea that Torres is talking about knowing your limitations or is it just something you're not, I doubt it's something you're not interested in (laughs) knowing you, but is it more of that limitations question? 100% exactly what Torres just said is the reason for me because I would love to. And, And you talked earlier about the time zone change. When I get to Hawaii, I, I may be able to at at that point (laughs) when the West coast games end at 7 PM, my time, I can do things in the evening after my daughter goes to bed and, and get them ready to be published very early the next morning. When right now there's no way I'm doing the 3 AM that these guys are doing to get this done so that it it is possible. And I would like to explore that going forward. Maybe not this season. We're going to be, the all-star breaks approaching and we getting settled for a couple of weeks, but next season for sure. Yeah. I think that's something that completely valid as I, as I look at my own writing schedule and realize that I probably do, <laughs> I probably stretched myself out a little bit, definitely last year. And I don't think I cut quite back enough as I, as I look at my schedule for this year, is I do a couple of those articles that Kevin, you were talking about. I have two articles a week where I wake up at 530 in the morning so I can get them out at the right time. And rather than stay up until because I'm on East Coast time, 
And the worst part is I'm in Indianapolis, so I'm on the most western edge of the East Coast. <laughs> so the sun stays up the longest, but I, it doesn't mean I can stay up the longest as well. So Yeah, it, 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 I'm not saying that if the right opportunity doesn't come along, I wouldn't consider it. I just maybe have to quit my job or give my kids away or keep your options open. Yeah, I, you, no, I'm kidding. I would never give. I, I love my kids. They are fantastic props in my videos. They're so great. <laughs> I really I love you went, I love you went a good you went a good direction there. I thought you were going to say I'm kidding. I would never quit my job. But <laughs> You went in a better direction than I than I would have. All right, all right, man. This was this is great. This is a great insight into just there's so like I said, there's so much content out there, and most of it is incredible, like in, like very specific insights that you find to very general takes. Whether it's just breakdowns of games, breakdowns of pitchers, whatever. And if you got an insight, even if you've already seen somebody else do it or a version of it, yeah, I agree. I say just go out and put it out there. You get. One, and maybe it's your aunt that you haven't talked to in a while. Fine. But it's something. I will say that is the worst. Like I'll put out a poll. <laughs> I'll put a poll. I put out a poll about whether people refrigerate their peanut butter or not, which got mo- the most like Twitter connects or whatever they're called <laughs> of any tweet I put out there. And then I'll put out what I thought is the most useful information about some stolen base statistics that I've been looking up and I'll get four or five likes out of that. I'm like, what? is going on here <laughs> but you know what this the information is still useful to me so i'm still going to continue to put it out there whenever i possibly can and i'm going to ask silly questions about peanut butter in refrigerators as well so we'll see what gets uh, more follows as time all right we are back of course you are listening to on the wire i am adam howe joined of course with co-host kevin hasting and today's special guest jason martinez of roster resource Jason, we're going to talk to you a little bit before we get into kind of the implications of a lot of the trades that happen. I just I want to make sure since we got you on the show that we pick your brain about what you do. And this is a pretty typical section of the podcast, but you do something very specific and you've been doing it for quite a while now. You've gotten pretty good at it, I would say. And But I want to make sure people are aware and we talked about it a little bit at the start of the show, but I would love for you to go into a little bit more detail into the process that you take to making the adjustments in in roster resource, making those lineup adjustments. How do you adjust those lineups? How do you adjust the depth charts when roster moves are made, not only during the trade deadline, but as you mentioned earlier, the offseason as, as signings are made or as players don't get signed and there's a vacuum and you have to fill that vacuum. You still have to put nine people in that lineup, whether or not they deserve it or not, or you think they're going to be there at the end of the offseason. I always... In my head, I'm always picturing Orlando Arcia is the starting first baseman for the Atlanta for Atlanta after Freeman was not signed before the Olsen trade or signing. Talk to me a little bit about what it, do you have any help doing this? Is it all you all the time? And do you have any other secret inside information that you're not telling us about? <laughs> no, it's me and it's a one man show for when you're looking at those roster pages. I have some help with the payroll pages, which is something that I was doing for a while. And then once the, they brought the luxury tax stuff in, I was, I don't think I want to get into all this stuff. It's just too much. <laughs> and a guy who's been helping me, John Becker, has been helping me. He's been helping me for 10 years, maybe with just with little stuff here and there. I think he's been helping me since he was 14 years old. So yeah, I think he's 23 now. He was like, I'll do the payroll pages and I'll figure out the luxury tax stuff and I'll do that for you. And I go, okay, look, you just got to make sure that it's accurate and people are going to ask you a lot of questions about this stuff so as long as you can answer it and as long as it makes sense go for it 
So I kind of handed it to him over the payroll stuff. But I, it's only me on the roster and depth chart stuff. And it works best that way because, like I said, when I explain my process of doing it, I want you to be able to trust that, mm-hmm. that I am paying attention to this stuff and there's a reason behind everything. And so for me, the initial starting point was this is the off season when I had the idea for the site. And it was always like, once we got to the off season, my team was bad. I'm a Padres fan. Like we just had a bad year. What's my team going to look like? Let's start, you know, I would write it all out or I would type it out and really wanted to see what all the teams look like. So it was more and more an interest there as far as like roster. What is the roster going to look like from the time that the end of the season until opening day? And so there was always a little bit of that interest there. And it was like, okay, when I think of a roster, I think starting lineup, I think bench, I think starting rotation. And I, and who's the closer, who's the setup man. I, th- I look at a roster that way and I realize not everybody really thinks of it that way, but I want to be able to show in this chart form what I'm like, what I see. And initially it was very basic. And then I said, there's a lot of mo- a lot more information that you, you, if you just looked at the names, that doesn't tell you a whole lot. Even though a lot of people right away were like, you update this so quickly. That's why I really like it. It's accurate when I'm like, I'm just listing a lineup and I'm just listing a roster. I got some minor leaguers there and it was still like a lot of interest. So I said, well, I, I do want to add a lot more information. I want to show how this player was acquired. I want to show, I want to show how many options, how long is this player under contract? There's just, just so much information that I can add. And it, it was a long process to get to where it was. And as I learned along the way, it's really hard to explain my vision to somebody who's like a programmer or a developer we just speak a different language and I'm not good at <laughs> explaining. And it really took until I went to Fangraphs where they actually took my idea and just said, all right, we're going to take what you've done and we're going to move it to Fangraphs. And then little by little, it was really, it really started coming into place where it was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I, this is what I, this is what I want. This, and it seems like a lot of people understand it. And yeah, like I said, it's really, it's fun for me to strip everything down at the end of the season. And like you said, Orlando Arcia is the Braves first baseman. That people look at that and they go, what is this? And you go, well, yeah, man, that's, they don't have a first baseman. You want me just to leave it blank? <laughs> that's the simplest. They, blank. They, don't <laughs> they don't have a first baseman. You have found the missing link there to that lineup. We, we, now we know what the Braves need. But yeah. So once I started doing that, we would get to opening day and you go, okay, this is now we have opening day rosters. Cool. And then initially when I started the site, you could see the interest just, it just bottomed out pretty quickly. And I was like, okay, it's all, it's mostly fantasy managers that are just getting ready and then they don't need me anymore. So it's been a lot of years kind of, should I put, it's a lot of work to do this accurately during the season. And also you're not getting a lot of traffic. So I'm like, is it even worth it? But so it took a few years to get to the point where it was like, okay, there's enough. I think there's enough content that I can provide during the season and I needed to get to the point where I could do this for my my full-time job because it is it's a job where you have to pay attention nonstop which is pro- probably which gives me an edge over anybody because I this is my job to do it is what <laughs> sure. I do oh you have so much and I'm like yeah as a reason for that and I already <laughs> was like the, I was the friend who you would ask about baseball stuff because that's just what I'm interested in and then for me it was always like I want to be able to do something in my life where I'm just like, I want to be really good at something. And I know I have this interest 
in baseball and rosters and stuff. And, and I want to be able to put all my time and effort into it. And if I do that, I feel like I can be really good at something. And it's the, the Tony Gwynn thing. The thing is, his, his dad told him, if you work hard, good things will happen. And that's a, such a simple statement. And you go, oh, yeah, no, that, duh, of course. But, I, <laughs> but you realize that it's so much that goes into that hard work and patience and thing. You got to make the right choices and make the right adjustments. But I, I found found that thing and got to a point where it's like, all right, I can make a living out of this. And now it's just a matter of managing this site and, and always trying to provide more content or like what's going to be more helpful to, because mm-hmm. I know who's, who's reading it. I know why you're reading it. And so now it's just a matter of, okay, so why do you trust what, what I'm doing here? Or do you understand what I'm actually putting out of this on this website? So, yeah. I think that you touched on it like over the years that you've been at Fangraphs, when did you make the official like transition? I remember in my head seeing the notification, but I don't remember the date. It was 2019, I think. Yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah. It was before the 2020 season. But you noticed, you've mentioned like since joining Fangraphs, you've been able to like work with developers and add more stuff and ex- ex- expand on the vision that you had for the site and the things it can offer. And I can't, I think that it's still probably, I don't know your traffic numbers and all that, but I venture to guess that the majority of people are going to Rust Research are still just looking at the depth chart page. But I want to make sure that everybody is aware of just the transaction tracker I literally used today to prep for this episode. Like that, (laughs) it's just the fact that you put stuff on there that hasn't happened yet, but you obviously are more in tune with the news and tweets and all that stuff that's happening. Even though you can't find it on the MLB official transaction page because it hasn't been the paperwork hasn't been done yet. You got to get a heads up on what could happen in the next couple of days. The closer depth chart is always something because of the usage that you put in there as well. Those other in-season tools, I think, are just really invaluable, especially from a fantasy perspective. And I think that's also a reason why roster resource in general is referenced so much. But my question is about what do you think was left behind from before you were in Fangraphs that they either get questions about. We got a question in the Discord about like minor league baseball power rank player power rankings. And they were just probably formatted differently on the old site. It doesn't pop in my head personally, but is there do you, is there ways in is there things that were on the old site that either morphed into a different f- way of seeing it on the in the Fangraph site over the years or stuff that's just been lost completely that you think either aren't as useful or maybe you'll see them coming back in the future. Yeah, and that's one good example and it's really a matter of so like the minor league power rankings have always been once I came up with them, they've always been on the depth chart pages. So you have to scroll and see where the rankings are and so the top 50 are highlighted. So if you went to a team and you just scroll down when you see that red background, they're really easy to, to pick out. So you got an overall ranking and you can see the red ones right away and you go, okay, these guys are having a really good season. And then last 21 days as well. So if you see the red there, you go, oh, okay, this guy's not ranked very high during the season. He might be in like 700 or maybe not ranked at all, but he's ranked 15th. And you go, oh, that guy's probably been red hot over the last three weeks. I have, I definitely have a wish list, a Fangraphs wish list that is, that's included on a leaderboard, like a power rankings leaderboard. So that's on the Fangraphs wish list. When it gets when it gets done, I don't know. But before I was at <laughs> sure. before I was at Fangraphs, I could just do anything on a, on the Google Sheets. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I was, that's what I was doing. I was like putting out a top 200 or whatever. And I would have a bunch of, I would have rankings in there. I would show which levels they were at. So I think people liked seeing that once a week and say, these are the updated rankings, even though they were already on the pages, I had it all laid out. And all in one spot. Sure. Yeah. And so even though there wasn't like a constant leaderboard being updated once a week, I would put this together and it, it was way more work than it should be. And then these Google Sheets were so, they were so slow because there's so much data on there. And I was like, oh, I learned a new formula. Cool. Oh, no, now it's even slower. And so there was, it was that balance of, okay, I just want to wake up and just come up with new ideas every day. But it was like slowing the site down even more because I I didn't know how to build a website. I was basically doing this on Google Sheets and then figured out a way to embed the Google Sheet onto a website. So that this website is downloading two separate pages and it's taking forever. And so I, pe- people weren't even complaining about it. I just, and which was, I think was bad because it was like, people just were like, yeah, that's just how it is. It's just slow. <laughs> it's like, it's probably bad that people don't just complain life. about this. Yeah. So now we don't have that issue anymore, but that's one thing. I think my knocking down the door column that I've, that I had, I've done on and off for years, but that is like highlighting probably four or five minor leaguers who are doing really well and could get called up and are really pushing for the big leagues. And I love doing that column, but it's, it is, it's something that's really difficult to find time to do. I I was trying to do a a, a live stream for a while. I want to do a podcast and it's just like reality hits during the regular season. And it's, yeah, it's the stuff that keeps me away, keeps me busy though, for the most part from early in the morning until late, late at night. Which is, it's a long day, but it's also like I have time to do a bunch of stuff in between. It almost feels like it feels like an eight hour day, but it's I'm doing stuff early until the game's end and I'm updating closer stuff and a closer depth chart. And it just really so I, I think of it as, as that there's that one game like like in Chuck E. Cheese. I remember where, where you, you put in the coin and you're trying to push all the coins over. And it's you keep putting the coins in and, it, and all these coins are there and they're just not flow in they're not going over the top but at some point you put one coin in and then boom then they all just start rushing in and i've been thinking about it that way where i was at that point like yeah i can do this i can do this and i think it finally got to the point where he just pushed it too far and i'm like all right i can't do i can't do that (laughs) i gotta take a step back but a lot of my stuff on the wish list it actually is things that would take stuff off my plate so i can do more I do. I do want to do a, a podcast live stream kind of thing. I do want to do weekly columns, but but yeah, as, as far as, as the time and it takes to do what I want these to do, I think it, it's not possible right now. No, I think what you do right now, Jason, is obvi- I've alluded to it a bunch of times throughout the episode, is something that many of us, if not most of us, rely on tremendously, especially when we're trying to come up with analysis on the fly for in most cases, whether it be in articles or podcasts or just random tweets and what have you. So keep it up. And the fact that you update so quickly when things happen, whether it's a closer losing their job or just doing poorly, moving them up or down the bullpen depth charts, what have you, on top of the lineup trackers and what have you, like the lineups, as soon as they come out, they're usually up on the site. That's it's pretty, it's a pretty useful tool. And if you're listening to this and you haven't used roster resource, you're probably doing it wrong, but you should probably remedy that as soon as possible. Quick break. 
All right, and we are back. Thanks for joining us. You are listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings and Jake Halsker, the 2019 NFBC auction champion overall. Jake, I want to talk to you about that season. It was a magical season. As we've talked to Kevin about his magical 2020 TGFBI overall champion, there are very few people who can hang their hat on that coat rack and say, Hey, I've got that. I've got that giant check. I've got that. I've got the, my name on the board. You know, how talk to me a little bit about how that season went. And what I'm mostly curious about is it's been a couple of years now. We've had a weird 2020 season in between, but you've had a full 2021 and we're halfway through or more than halfway through now the 2020. Sorry, we had a full 2021 and we're halfway through the 2022 season. What have what did you take away from 2019 that you've been able to translate into success moving forward and what has completely changed? I'm glad to to talk about this season because it's starting to feel like ancient history with the way my auctions have gone <laughs> the last two years. And Kevin can attest because he's been in the last two leagues and they have not gone nearly as well as that 2019 team. I There are a few things that I hearken back to and it I played NFBC for quite a while, but I never had a run that deep into the year. My my overall aspirations were usually over by August. And it something that I really took out of that year was even with the success I had, you're going to make a ton of fab ads that don't work out. And I, I'm looking back now at everything I picked up that year, all the players that I picked up. And it's probably 75% guys that I might have streamed for a week, guys that I picked up as specs and they didn't work out. There's probably 25 to 30% of these that actually were sizable parts of the success of that team. So if you're making up, if you're making these pickups and they're not working out, keep your head down. I know it's kind of cliche. Just keep at it. Keep streaming guys, keep speculating, use the room that you have in your roster and continue to churn. I had a couple big injuries that year and injuries are a large part of this year too. A big injury didn't sink that season. I had Mike Clevenger as my ace on that team and he was down for a good three months. And I thought that season was over in May when he went down and it ended up working out because I had a lot of, a lot of guys that I drafted on the lower end in the, the dollar days that ended up working out that year. So keep picking up guys and try to move forward. I held on to Clevenger and it worked out. I had to drop Andrew McCutcheon that year and move forward. It, it didn't to hold me back too much. There's a lot of talk about when to look at standings. Something else that You know, I'm a guy that's always looking at standings. Uh, Even in April, I'm looking at live scoring. I'm looking at standing as I'm looking where I am in the categories. I'm always taking stock of that. I'm not a guy that makes spreadsheets either. So I'm a fly by the seat of my pants type of guy. So I look at a lot of stuff, but I don't make a lot of records of it. I just keep it up in my brain. Use the overall standings as well as your league standings once you determine your team is good enough to compete. And that's something that I did with that auction team that I continue to do with any team that I think is good enough. Like my main event is it was good enough, I thought, to compete for the overall. I don't think it's going to get that far now, but I'm still using the overall standings in the way that I'm making my free agent ads in addition to the league standings. Not, I'm not saying throw your league standings out. You want to win your league first and foremost, but always look at where you are in those ratios. Look at where you are in wins and saves and Ks and, and make sure you're not falling behind in anything that you can control. But I started looking at the overall standings in earnest for that 2019 team back in June. Once I determined in June that team was good enough, I was fixated on those overall standings in addition to my league standings. So utilize that tool. On the NFPC website, you go to the overall standings page and you can sort by categories rather than the points. So 
there is a pull-down menu for that. So look at the overall categories. Always look at where you are. You want to be in that upper 80% of everything if you can. So make sure you're taking stock of all those things. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's... I, uh... As I said, the success hasn't been as good these last couple of years. Sorry. I feel like last year in the auction, I did not execute my plan at the draft table. And that was one of the big reasons that I don't think I did very well. Not that I didn't get good players. It was that I did not, I kind of hamstrung myself in terms of money and it's not something that I like to do. This year, I feel like I executed exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't get exactly the players that I planned on getting, but the dollar values were there. And I'm, a, I'm somebody that doesn't like to have, you know, $4 left for three players at the end. I like to have seven, $8 for five guys or four guys so that I have an extra dollar to bid on whatever I need. If somebody throws a guy out for one, tries to sneak him through, I can get him for two. And I feel like I did that really this year, but hasn't worked out. It was a lot of bad player analysis. I guess I was, I'm pretty, pretty down in power and average and RBI in that league. So it's not been a good run the last couple of years. I, I'm not the ultimate authority on auctions. That's for sure. Winning an overall doesn't make you the best at unquestionable success at, at a certain type of league. I, there's always ways that we need to grow just because it works once doesn't mean it's always going to work, but you got to keep trying. Yeah. We, we see it year and year. I feel like it's happening a lot quicker but we hear all these stories about back in the day or like just a couple of years ago, you could do X, Y, and Z. You can't do that now. Like in every year now, there's a new strategy for the first three rounds of a draft. Pitching is so deep now or speed is non-existent or this or that or the other thing. And so I'm not too surprised to hear you say or talk about the fluctuation of, of strategy or, or of results that you've been seeing just because with all the rule changes that we see in baseball, with the baseball itself changing year in and year out without any prior knowledge of it happening, being able to adapt on the fly has become so much more important and also so much more difficult <laughs> to do so. Kevin, I can ask you all the same questions. You came out of the strangest season <laughs> that we've seen in our lifetime, an overall champion. Is there any, and we've talked about this on the show in the past, but like looking back now a little bit further along, is there anything out of the 2020 season that you have been able to recall and be like, hey, listen, that's what helped me. I'm going to make sure I do that again as we head into basically the start of what was the 2020 season last year, or at this point that could help you along for the second half of the season. Yeah. 2020 being a shortened season was a very easy year to let guys go. And I told myself going into 2021 that I was going to be more aware of letting guys go and cutting bait sooner rather than later and I probably did a little better than I had done prior to 2020, but not as well as I would have liked. And I'm still trying to do the same thing now halfway through 2022. I, I tried not to hold guys too long, let them go, cut bait, get somebody on my roster. It's, it's especially in NFBC formats where we can change our lineups on Friday. Everything may look so nice on Sunday evening after you check out your fab results and you got everybody lined up and you know how you're going to start your lineup and everything's great. But a lot of things can change by Friday. Using up roster spots by not letting guys go and having a couple of guys available on your bench that you are willing to put into your starting lineup is I'm trying to get more and more comfortable doing that. 
Yeah, and as we as we count down the days of the season, that has got to become more easier and easier to do. Absolutely. As we talked about John Birdie at the top of the show, are you dropping him? Are you keeping him? And both you guys said, hey, I'm probably keeping him. And the major theme of that was, I don't want to see somebody else get him (laughs) and get any possible stolen bases. On the flip side of that, though, is that he's already, you've already banked the 20 some odd stolen Mm -hmm. bases that he's already put on the board. There's no guarantee he's going to put on that kind of a streak. You have to be, in my mind, you have to be more flexible to let somebody like that go and then hope nobody else reaps the benefits of that if that's what your team needs. And that's just echoing what you're talking about, Kevin, is like being able to drop guys that aren't a guarantee to help your team especially in the categories that you might need. Honestly, if you had birdie this for the entire run, you're probably doing okay <laughs> in stolen bases here on out. So if you are to drop them and you could cross your fingers that somebody seven spots down in that category picks them up and it's not going to do any harm to you. If anything, it's just going to help because he could cut into somebody else below you who's nipping at your heels. So there's a lot of, intricate strategies that you don't have control over when you do a drop like that per se, but you can, you can hope for the best. Jake, I like your point about utilizing the overall categories. And I think that the majority of people who listen to this show understand that the overall categories, the overall standings don't work the same way as the league standings. If you're trying to win your league, obviously you need to pay attention to what the cat, especially this time of year and throughout the rest of the year, you have to understand where you can make the most ground to gain the most points in your league to cash or preferably to win over outright. But the overall that you can make different types of jumps if you are in that top yeah. 25, that top 30, and you're still and you're still at the early part of July or mid-July, you still have an opportunity to jump in there. So if you, where do you have to find yourself, I think, in the overall standings to like more way the overall standings to make your decisions than to use your league standings? That's a good question. I guess it depends on how much you're winning your league by. That's a really tough one to say. That's a good question. In in 2019, I was winning my league so handily from April on that I was looking at the overall standings in June, July, and really making moves tailored to that. If you're in a hotly contested league, that's tough. You know, your overall goal is obviously to win that overall and get that 175K if it's the main event. But if you don't cash in your league, if you're playing for that overall and you watch the league slip away, that's worse because you're coming in fourth in your league. You're not cashing in the overall. I would say at this point of the season, mid- midway through July, top 75, you'd say you probably have a pretty decent chance of at least cashing in that overall standings. But I think I would still focus on my league more so up until you're in like 40th or something like that. That's a good question. It's hard to say. And it, it also depends on how many categories that you really need to make a jump in those overall standings. If you're way down in saves and that's the thing holding you back in the overall, it's going to be really hard for you to make up a ton of saves and still keep your ground in the Ks and the wins. It might be better to just focus on the league. That's a really tough one. It's obviously case by case, but... It's a good one to think about. It, it's one of the worst things to look at your league standings and then to see that like you're in even second, third, or even fourth. And it, but the person right below you is yeah. like 
10 spots above you in the overall. Um, you're just like, what is going on? I personally, I just hate seeing them be like, oh, I'm doing so well. But why is Joe Schmo like two spots below me in my league, but yet 10 spots above me in the overall? It's so confusing, especially for a rookie player. And I'm playing in NFBC for the last three or four years now. So I don't know if I think I've graduated from rookie status per se, at least on, on the platform. But it still boggles my mind when I look at them like that shouldn't never be right. But obviously the overall is, especially in the very large, even if you're playing in the NFBC 50s or the draft champions where there's hundreds and hundreds of of players playing in that, and most of them have multiple teams in the overall contest. I get it. Mathematically, it makes sense, but I I hate seeing it. Totally agree. And I have that happen to me more often than not. (laughs) (laughs) Must be, means I'm not building balanced enough teams, apparently. There you go. That is going to wrap it up for episode 80 of On The Wire. Along with the 2022 season as a whole, please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. We will be back week with weekly shows throughout the offseason with new guests and insights as we start prepping and drafting for 2023. And yes, I know many have already jumped on that boat, so we might be a week or two behind on that for some, but you can still follow along anyway. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. And of course, follow the pod itself at on the wire pod. I'd like to once again, thank all of our guests from the 2022 season. Look forward to having some of them back along with new voices to hear from in 2023. I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hasting. Thanks for listening. And with that, we bid you goodbye.